News Weekly is an ad-free listener-supported podcast made possible by subscribers like you. Just go to patreon.com slash Shah to support the podcast. Top stories of the week. The country formerly known as India. Also, Alan Joyce's crash landing. All that and more on Newsweek. Hello and welcome to News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly. Will no one think of the children of hipsters? News now. What's in a name? That which we call India, by any other name, would smell just as spicy. Yes, but it might not be useful as a tool to increase nationalism while hurting your opponents, it turns out. In the last few years, India has proven it has what it takes to establish itself as a global and economic powerhouse. To do so, it's literally ticking off a checklist of superpower achievements, like increasing manufacturing capabilities, a more prominent presence in world affairs, and more recently, a successful moon mission. Now, much like that guy you knew from high school, who did drugs and lived in his mum's basement until he was 30, then one day read a Jordan Peterson book, cut his hair, got a job and stopped calling himself Bob Meister and became Richard and is now much more financially responsible but also verging on far-right extremism, India is thinking of changing its name to show it's a new India, or rather, an old Bharat. The invitation cards sent out to guests for the gala dinner of the G20 carry the name the Republic of Bharat. Does this suggest a move on the part of the Modi government to change the name of this country from India to Bharat? That's been the big debate in India in the last few days, with rumours swirling that this name change could be on the agenda at the upcoming parliamentary session in a few days. So, why Bharat? Where does that name come from? Then came 1947. India became an independent country. The makers of our constitution also debated the country's name. Some wanted Bharat instead of India. But in the end, all such proposals were voted down and the current one prevailed. India, that is Bharat. First things first, what does the constitution say? Article 1 begins with the following sentence. India, that is Bharat, is a union of states. I'll repeat that. India, that is Bharat, is a union of states. Doesn't that mean both names are interchangeable? The legal scholars are divided on this issue. Some of them point to other articles of the Constitution, like Article 77. It refers to the government of India and not Bharat. Also, Article 52, which mentions the president of India and not Bharat. But some scholars disagree. They say Article 1 makes, makes it clear that both names are the same, India and Bharat. What's written elsewhere does not matter. Well, the name Bharat dates back to early Hindu texts, like the Mahabharata epic, and early Sanskrit Vedic texts, dating back to between 1900 to 1200 BCE, placing that at around the same time as the Epic of Gilgamesh, and before the collapse of the Bronze Age, so earlier than the story set in the Iliad and Odyssey even. The name Bharat is defined as a land between the sea and snowy mountains, which fits India's geography with the Himalayas in the north and the Indian Sea in the south. It's also got some legends associated with it, like a King Bharat who conquered the world, lived and ruled for 27,000 years, probably by avoiding high cholesterol food and doing lots of yoga, and all South Asians are descended from him apparently. 
So that's where Bharat came from. And India came from the same place most modern names come from, which is white people mispronouncing shit. And if you don't believe that's a consistent problem, look up why Melbourne's Yarra River is called that. See, the name India started off as Sindhu, which is Sanskrit for the river Indus. The Persians modified Sindhu to Hindu, then the Greeks modified Hind and Hindu to Indus. So, by the 3rd century, the land south of the river Indus became known as India. The locals didn't call it that, however. Under the Mughals, who were Persian-descended rulers, the region was called Hindustan, land of the Hindus. Then, in the 18th century, the British came along and decided Hindustan was too hard to pronounce and you can't name your kid that if you want to show how cultured you are while living in Fitzroy or Byron Bay, and so they started calling it India. Well, why now? After all, changing a country's name is no easy task. You've got to change the names of all the official departments, order new stationery, and then correct people whenever they say the wrong name by using the phrase, um, actually, it's Bharat now? That's a lot of work. What possible reason could the Indian Prime Minister have for pursuing this dramatic rewriting of his nation's identity? In July this year, India's opposition parties announced a new coalition. A coalition called... India. It's an acronym, actually. Indian National Development Inclusive, uh, Developmental Inclusive Alliance, INDIA. Around 26 opposition parties are part of it. All of them oppose the name change. Do you know how hard they work to come up with the acronym for India? INDIA becoming Indian National Developmental Inclusive Alliance? That doesn't even make sense. They even use the name India in the acronym for India. And now they're going to have to change that to Bharat? B-H-A-R-A-T? What are they going to do? Bharat will have to stand for something like um, uh, Bharat Harmonious Advancement Reformative Alliance for Transformation. Which, actually, that's better than... Indian National Developmental Inclusive Alliance. Maybe this might work out. Countries changing their name isn't new, of course. Most recently, Turkey has become Turkey for a lot of similar reasons of heritage and culture, but mostly because they were sick of being associated with one of the dumbest birds in the world. And of course, Thailand used to be known as Siam. Myanmar used to be Burma. And even within India, Bombay went back to being called Mumbai and Bangalore to Bangaluru. So name changes do happen. The biggest question over whether India will successfully become Bharat, though, comes down to one thing. Can Westerners pronounce it? Go ahead. Try right now. Bharat. Say it again. Bharat. No, 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 not Bharat. Not Baharat. Bharat. See, the B and H are right next to each other. Bharat. Come on, you can say it. Bharat. Yeah, it's going to stay India. Meanwhile, in response, Pakistan has announced it's also going to change its name to India, which, given the collapse of the country is experiencing, changing its name while imploding might be the only way Pakistan can actually defeat India. Qatar Airways is a fucking fuck news now. Remember last week when I called Alan Joyce a fucking fuck? And it wasn't just me. 
basically all of Australia was united in hating him. Australians literally came together to tell Alan Joyce to fuck off in a way we haven't seen since the Matildas went into the penalties. He brought us together in ways Albanese thought that the voice would. Alan Joyce was basically the reverse voice. He even gave journalists an opportunity to remind everyone that nothing gets them more turned on than bad wordplay. Qantas has hit another bout of turbulence. The turbulence keeps coming for Qantas. It follows months of turbulence. More turbulence for Qantas. Qantas hits more turbulence. More turbulence. More turbulence. More turbulence. 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 And then, under a hail of finally an on-time departure for Qantas jokes, Alan Joyce announced his resignation. Although, technically, those jokes aren't accurate because he's resigning two months before his term was due to end, so he's actually early, but let's not let that ruin a good time. A bittersweet moment for the Qantas captain as he hands over the controls to his co-pilot. It's a credit to this country that a gay Irish man was appointed uh, 15 years ago to be CEO of the company. That's former CEO Alan Joyce trashing the reputation of gay Irishmen, a reputation that Oscar Wilde worked so hard to build in the first place. So what now for Qantas? How will they fix the mess? Insider pick Vanessa Hudson will be the company's first female CEO in its 103-year history. Well, there we go. They did the exact same thing all Australians' corporations do. Put a woman in charge for a brief period to soak up the rage, then once the anger has subsided, replace her with another white guy. Meanwhile, as Anthony Albanese's son gets a massage in the chairman's lounge or whatever the fuck they do there, the government's been answering questions about its refusal of Qatar Airways getting more flights into Australia that might have helped drive down the price of air travel to Australia. Qatar Airways wanted an extra 21 routes to Australia. That would bring in an additional 1 million seats into the system, pushing down the cost of airline tickets, particularly on that European route. But the federal government blocked it with Qantas's support. Since then, the federal government has come under attack for that rejection. And they might have finally found a reason to justify their decision that puts them above criticism. It's now been revealed that the Transport Minister was lobbied by five Australian women who are in an ongoing legal battle with Qatar Airways. That legal battle refers to something utterly fucked up. No, I'm not talking about the deaths of migrant workers who are treated like slaves by a Qatari elite whose only real skill is trying to have sex with Instagram models using oil money. I'm talking about something much, much worse. You know what? Normally, I don't believe in trigger warnings, but I think this time this story has actually earned it. So please genuinely be warned. What you're about to hear is utterly horrific and totally on brand with Qatari hospitality. It happened in 2020, and it's what those five women are suing Qatar Airways over. Uh, we understand that earlier this month, airport staff discovered a a newborn um, fetus, a newborn baby, a, a premature baby in the airport bathroom terminals that had been abandoned. Um, a short time after that discovery, the women who were on board the flight from Doha to Sydney were detained. They were taken off the plane, onto the tarmac and into ambulances where they were forced to undergo these invasive internal examinations against, uh, without their consent rather, and without being told why the examinations were being carried out. Told you it's really fucked up and and not even surprising if qatar the uae or saudi arabia are involved in a story you can automatically assume it's got either women or south asians suffering horrific abuse but is that a good enough reason to reject qatar airways from getting more routes to australia in a letter to the women signed the same day catherine king blocked the qatar application for additional flights 
the minister gave assurances that the government was not considering additional air rights with the carrier. Seems like it. It's certainly justification likely to win the respect of the Australian public and dispel any accusations of favouritism towards Qantas. Except, here's the Transport Minister Catherine King a few days earlier. This is the only airline that has something like that, uh, that has happened. Then contradicting herself over her decision. I can't say that you know, I wasn't aware of it, uh, but certainly it wasn't the only factor. It was, one, it was a factor. Well, it wasn't a factor in the decision, but it certainly provides context. In fact... She welcomed Qatar Airways to increase more flights into Canberra. Qatar could increase its flights into Australia today. It should be flying here into Canberra Airport. All that's left then is for one final air travel pond. If the government can survive that, it might just get the clear air it wants. That's it for this week's edition of News Weekly. It's a short edition because it's been a light news week, which has been kind of nice, actually. I'll see you right back here next week on News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly.